This is Africa Digest. Seventeen hundred hours Central African time. Good afternoon and welcome to Africa Digest. You're listening to Channel Africa from an African perspective, broadcasting to you from our studios in Johannesburg, South Africa. You can find us on www.channelafrica.co.za. My name is Sumora Mangesi and I'm in studio with Onelin Sinsi as well as Tracy Boongard and Neto Chimani. Top stories on Africa Digest at this hour. The DRC's president, Felix Chisakedi's Union for Democracy and Social Progress, rejects calls for early elections. Tanzania's main opposition, Chidema, presidential candidate and national vice chairman, Tundu Lisu, has fled the country. And the situation remains unpredictable and volatile in Ethiopia's northern region of Tigra. But right now, though, it's time for us to cross on over to the news desk. Here's Onelen Sinsi with your latest bulletin. SABC News, independent and impartial. From an African perspective. Thank you, Samara. Sudan, Ethiopia and Egypt abruptly ended their resumed talks on the Grand Ethiopian Renaissance Dam on the Blue Nile, signaling another deadlock in long-running negotiations on how to fill the hydropower facility. The ministers of water resources in the three countries rather agreed to return to the African Union for a way forward after disagreeing on what role the experts assigned by the continental body will play in the talks, the basis of negotiations and the time frame. The ministers had begun talks last Sunday but were unable to make any tangible progress. South Africa's ruling ANC Party Secretary-General Ace Mahashule has called on the public not to match to court or print regalia in his name when he appears in court on Friday. The country's persecutors have issued an arrest warrant for the Secretary-General of the ruling African National Congress Party. It is alleged that Mahashule benefited from a contract to audit how many houses in one of the provinces in the country still had asbestos roofs, which was given to his close associates. He will hand himself over to police on Friday morning before his subsequent appearance in court. NC Deputy Secretary-General Jesse Doit addressed the media in a virtual briefing. The Secretary-General assured officials that he will fully cooperate with the law enforcement agencies and will present himself to court on Friday. The SG expressed his preference to officials that he would not want any individual or groups to march, print posters, t-shirts and placards on this matter and in his name. The national officials expressed the wish that all structures respect this in the spirit of one ANC and to respect the rule of law. The ANC officials, in the spirit of the 54th Conference Resolutions, continue to condemn all acts of corruption and malfeasance. Zimbabwean student teachers have gone on strike, arguing the monthly allowance they are receiving from the government is not enough to sustain their expenses during the teaching practice period. The latest development throws the country's educational system into further disarray after qualified teachers have refused to return to work when schools reopened in September following the easing of strict COVID-19 lockdown restrictions by government. The student group also says the University of Zimbabwe Department of Teacher Education regulates that student teachers do not address learners without the supervision of a mentor and this requirement has since been defeated by the ongoing teacher's strike. 
Tanzania's opposition leader and 2020 presidential candidate Tsundu Lisu has left the country for Brussels. Lisu, contested against incumbent President John Magufuli, lost to him in what he described as an election held under corruption and voter intimidation. Lisu had sought refuge in the German embassy in Dar es Salaam after multiple threats and fear for his life. The opposition leader has been leaving in severe inju- with severe injuries after since surviving an assassination attempt in 2017. Lesu has asked the international community not to recognize the election results. Magufuli was sworn in for a second five-year term on Thursday, November 5th in the Tanzanian capital. Lastly, Hong Kong's pro-democracy opposition lawmakers are resigning in NMES after four of their colleagues were expelled from the territory's legislative council. The legislatures were disqualified minutes after the Chinese parliament passed a resolution allowing the city's executive to expel legislators without having to go through the courts. The city's government said in a statement that the four legislators were expelled from the embassy for endangering national security but did not elaborate. The BBC Stephen MacDonald. Today here in Beijing, the Standing Committee of the National People's Congress handed the Hong Kong government the power to disqualify any local politicians seen as showing insufficient loyalty. Within hours, four pro-democracy politicians were expelled from the city's mini-parliament, the Legislative Council. In response, the entire pro-democracy bloc will tender their letters of immediate resignation. The legislature, already stacked in favour of the pro-Beijing camp, has for the first time since the Hong Kong handover now become a body with virtually no dissenting voices at all. Channel African News, I'm Onelin Sinsi. SABC News, independent and impartial. From an African perspective. Seventeen oh six. Let's get right into the stories for today. In the Democratic Republic of Congo, President Felix Tshisekedi's Union for Democracy and Social Progress, the UDPS, has rejected the call for early elections made by former President Joseph Kabila's Common Front for the Congo, the FCC. The FCC call for followed Tshisekedi's talks underway as he plans to create a sacred union of the nation to try and get parliamentary majority. The FCC said it's ready for early general elections for the Congolese to decide about such a majority. But the UDPS believes no election could be held before 2023 as electoral reforms have to be done first. Jean Nolbamweze reports from Kinshasa. The Common Front for the Congo's call for early elections has come as President Felix Tshisekedi continues meetings here in Kinshasa for talks aiming to create a sacred union as he's busy trying to look for a parliamentary majority under him. The current majority in both the National Assembly and the Senate is under FCC and that's why this former President Joseph Kabila's political platform is ruling this country in coalition with President Tshisekedi's cap for change well known as cash. The FCC announced it's willing to talk with Tshisekedi but said the dialogue has to be held under the coalition agreement. 
Coming to the parliamentary majority, President Tisekedi seeking the FCC emphasized this is only through elections and then said it's ready for early general elections at all levels. Nemi Mwilanya Wilonja is the common front for the Congo's coordinator. Au terme de la constitution et du règlement intérieur de l'Assemblée nationale, toute majorité est issue des élections. According to the constitution and the National Assembly's internal rules and regulations, any majority is obtained through elections for the whole term and can be renewed only during new general elections. The solution to this remains for voters to decide through early general elections at all levels. Elections generales anticipées à tous les niveaux. The FCC has also warned against issues such as corruption that is allegedly used by President Tisekedi's people to try and convince MPs join Mr. President's cap for change. Former President Kabila's FCC has then insisted the only way to gain a majority in parliament this time is through early general elections that should be held at all levels of this country. But this is unacceptable on Tisekedi's UDPA side, according to this party's youth leader Ted Beleshai, who told Channel Africa there are several pre-election reforms to be done first. We think there should be reforms in the Electoral Commission as well as reform of the electoral law. We have until 2023 for that, so we can have a commission that would deliver undisputed results. The current crisis is serious and indeed most of observers are warning this brings back bad memories of the 60s. This country was ruled in coalition between President Joseph Kasavubu and Patrice Emery Lumumba as Prime Minister. Jean-Noël Bamweze for Channel Africa in Kinshasa. Tanzania's main opposition, Chadema presidential candidate and the national vice chairman, Tundulisu, yesterday, on Tuesday, left the country 13 days after the general elections were concluded. His departure comes after the firebrand politician sought refuge at the German ambassador's residence in Dar es Salaam, where he remained for eight days, citing threats to his life immediately after the general election of 28th of October 2020. Our reporter, Gabriel Zakaria, has more from Dar es Salaam, Tanzania. In a video that went viral on social media and his Twitter handle, the politician is seen leaving the ambassador's home in a convoy of diplomatic cars accompanied by officials of the embassy. Speaking before his departure on Tuesday evening, Mr. Lisu said he was not running away from the country, but instead he is shifting the field for the struggle to fight for democracy and justice in Tanzania. Kwa sasa niko kwenye ndege ya shirika la ndege la Ethiopia e, nimepanda inaondoka katika dakika 15 zijazo naelekea Addis Ababa kutoka Addis Ababa nitaenda Vienna Austria Amata Julius Nyerere International Airport already in Ethiopia Airline, heading to Brussels, Belgium via Vienna, Austria. And on Wednesday morning, I'll be in Brussels. This move follows a long discussion between Tanzania Authority and the U.S., Germany and the Belgium embassies, officials based in Dar es Salaam, Tanzania, who intervened my case to ensure I'm allowed to move safely without conditions. Remember, I have no traveling documents. My passport is expired and I needed a new one. Thanks God, after discussion between the government and the foreign embassies, I was allowed to travel and I'm going to Belgium now.
eh, mazungumzo kati ya mabalozi walioko Dar es Salaam wa nchi za nje pamoja na serikali pia yeah, ameniwezesha ku, ku, kuondoka nchini kama anavyoondoka sasa Lisu, a fierce critic of President John Magufuli, is now returning to Belgium, where he had been living for three years before his return to contest the presidency in Tanzania, and he reiterates that is not seeking asylum. Instead, is going to tell the world what is happening in Tanzania. First of all, I'm traveling as a free citizen, not a refuge. And I haven't asked for any asylum anywhere. Remember, in the last three years, I lived in Brussels while receiving treatment. And I'm still allowed to stay there and meeting with my medical experts. But I will also be executing my political career in Europe. I'm the vice chairman of the party, Chadema. And wherever I am, I will be executing my duties as the vice chairman including to attend all meetings that will be arranged by my leaders through video conference. I'm going to tell the world what exactly happened during the last general election. So, this is a working tour. Last week, the politician told international media that threats against him have increased after he challenged the re-election of President John Magufuli. What I am doing is just to change a field battle. Instead of exercising my fight at home, I'm going away so that I can manage to carry the battle. You can remember a number of leaders had carried their activism outside their home countries. Leaders like President Yoweri Museveni, during the struggle, he stayed in Tanzania so that he could be able to run the battle. Not only him, even Milton Obote as well, and many other leaders. Reports indicated that Lisu had sought refuge at the Germany embassy in Dar es Salaam, Tanzania, since last Friday after expressing fear for his life. The politician, who is a lawyer by profession, survived an assassination attempt in 2017 after he was shot 16 times and requiring almost 20 surgeries. Reporting for Channel Africa in Dar es Salaam, Tanzania, this is Gabriel Zakaria. The situation remains unpredictable and volatile in Ethiopia's northern region of Tigray, where airstrikes have reportedly killed more than 1,000 people over the past one week. Ethiopian Prime Minister Abiy Ahmed has accused leaders in Tigray of undermining his dem- democratic reforms, but the leaders have denied the accusation and equally accused the Prime Minister of attacking them as part of a major crackdown on past rights abuses and large-scale corruption in Ethiopia. To tell us more, here is James Shimanyula. Ethiopian military aircraft have stepped up their airstrikes on the northern region of Tigray as the Horn of African Nation Prime Minister Abiy Ahmed ignores calls from the international community as well as the United Nations to stop attacking Tigrayans. The 44-year-old Abiy Ahmed, Africa's youngest leader, won the Nobel Peace Prize for democratic reforms following years of repressive government and for making peace with the neighboring Eritrea after a border war that killed more than 95,000 people between 1998 and 2000. Putting that saddening historical fact aside, it may be appropriate to point out that over the past week, Ethiopian fighter jet 
Market have been carrying out airstrikes against Tigray. Up to today, Wednesday, more than 1,000 people have reportedly been killed. They include at least 500 soldiers of the Tigrayan army. Military experts in the Horn of Africa predict that if the airstrikes continue in the next few weeks, Ethiopia, the African continent's second most populous country, may be plunged into civil war. Prime Minister Abiy dismisses the prediction, saying that he does not plan to plunge Ethiopia into civil war. Without expounding, Abiy speaks about the intention of leaders in Tigray against his government in the capital Addis Ababa. Intent on perpetuating a culture of impunity and restoring the undue privilege they enjoyed in the past. The TPLF have continuously mounted both covert and overt attempts to undermine the people of Ethiopia and our new administration. As Prime Minister Abiy Ahmed spoke, Stefane Dujaric, spokesman for United Nations Secretary General, expressed great concern over Ethiopia's unilateral decision to carry out airstrikes on its northern region of Tigray. The Secretary General expresses his alarm over the reported armed clashes in the Tigray region of Ethiopia and calls for immediate measures to de-escalate tensions and to ensure a peaceful resolution to the dispute. He underlines the importance of the stability of Ethiopia for the Horn of Africa region. The Secretary General renews the commitment of the United Nations and its partners in the region to support the government of Ethiopia in its reform efforts aimed at building a peaceful and secure future for all of its peoples. That was Stefane Dujaric, spokesman for United Nations Secretary General. Meanwhile, the volatile situation in Ethiopia's Tigray region has forced Farah Rahman al-Amin, governor of Sudan's eastern region of Kasala, to close Sudan's border with Ethiopia. We will not allow fleeing Tigrayans to enter Kasala with the guns, but we will allow those without guns to enter our territory. We don't want to see people from Tigray gathering along the border. And Sudan's defense minister Ibrahim Yassin has appealed to the Ethiopian government to find a lasting solution to the ongoing conflict with the leaders of Tigray region. Speaking in Arabic at a press conference in Sudan's capital Khartoum, Yassin said, Ethiopia is our neighbor. What is needed now is for the government to find a permanent solution to the ongoing conflict. Sudan will step up its push for an end to the ongoing conflict. Abdul Monel Abdel Aziz, an expert on the Horn of Africa, has made the following comment on the conflict in Tigray. The conflict may lead to insecurity and humanitarian crisis in Kasala, where ethnic conflict have been reported even before the conflict in Tigray. The continued arrival of Ethiopian refugees in Sudan is likely to pose a serious threat to Sudan's security. 
تتيم تدفقات That was Abdul Monel Abdelaziz, an expert on the Horn of Africa. According to United Nations High Commissioner for Refugees, Kassala is home to more than 130,000 refugees. Over 40% of the refugees, mainly Eritreans, have been living in refugee camps there for more than 20 years, and approximately 50% of them were born there. Reporting for Channel Africa, this is James Shimanyula. Across the globe, every second, there's always a breaking story. What we want to achieve is a healthy and vibrant economy, which can ensure full employment to our people. The government concurs with the views of the Black Economic Empowerment Council report that it is now necessary to make our policies on Black Economic Empowerment more explicit. Last May, I asked constituencies at Netlet to discuss youth employment incentives. I'm pleased that discussions have been concluded and that agreement has been reached on key principles. We are on an ambitious drive to industrialize, to attract investment, and to create more jobs for the youth of our country. They don't have jobs. Tried looking for a job for it's a year and a half now. The challenges were experience and the, the level of education which I have. Channel Africa. 17.20 Central African Time. This is still Africa Digest with myself, Samora Mangesi. The UN Refugee Agency, the UNHCR, today marks the anniversary of the hashtag I Belong campaign to eradicate statelessness. Launched in November 2014, the campaign aims to end uh, statelessness within 10 years by identifying and protecting stateless people rather, uh, through legal advocacy and awareness raising UNHCR works with governments and partners around the globe towards achieving the campaign goals. For more on this initiative, we're now joined on the line by UNHCR representative in South Africa, Leonard Zulu. Leonard, thank you very much for joining us. Yes, uh, good afternoon to you and uh, your listeners. Now, Leonard, could you briefly explain uh, to us what statelessness means uh, before we actually go into the hashtag I belong campaign, which was started six years ago? Yes, indeed. A stateless person is someone who is not considered a national by any state under the operation of its laws. So uh, it will be somebody uh, who doesn't have the nationality of the place where they stay and they are not considered to have uh, a nationality elsewhere. All right. And uh, could you also explain to us what prompted the launching of the hashtag I belong campaign six years ago? Well, UNHCR has reported uh, and recorded about 4.2 million stateless people uh, in 76 countries uh, around the world. And this figure was the latest uh, figure that we have for 2019. But we also know that uh, this phenomenon, this problem, is uh, very widespread. Uh, There were estimates uh, made of uh, 10 million uh, people at one point, but uh, definitely uh, it uh, it's in the millions across uh, the world. It affects uh, 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 people in most countries of the world, and it's not just uh, something that is unique uh, to uh, Africa or uh, the region, Southern Africa. In South Africa, the risk of statelessness uh, is usually a result of people not being registered at birth. 
and this approximately affects about 15 million uh, people in South Africa who may, uh, for one reason or the other, be unregistered. And this figure was provided to us by the World Bank. Although the vast majority of children uh, today in South Africa uh, are registered at birth, but we still have this problem uh, in the country, and uh, it's the same across uh, the region in Africa and elsewhere in the world. Let's reflect on the impact that this initiative has had this far uh, in addressing the scourge of statelessness. How notable are the strides? Well, uh, countries have made uh, uh, some tangible strides. Uh, a number of countries in the region have signed up to the uh, 1954 uh, convention relating to the status of stateless persons, which uh, requires uh, uh, certain rights to be accorded to stateless persons. Others have uh, 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 signed up to uh, the 1961 uh, convention that uh, 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 talks about uh, the prevention and reduction of statelessness. So uh, a number of countries have taken strides. Uh, South Africa, uh, to be more precise, has made uh, uh, concrete uh, pledges uh, to uh, not only register uh, uh, people at birth, but also uh, to uh, increasingly provide uh, protection to uh, children uh, of stateless people who are also born uh, stateless in South Africa. Those will be provided uh, citizenship. And also South Africa, the Citizenship Act provides a safety net for children at risk of statelessness as long as their birth is registered. And what are some of the emerging challenges and efforts in order to end statelessness and what can be done in response to that? Well, uh, it, it's really a, a simple thing to, uh, to end statelessness. It, it requires political will. Uh, and uh, the reasons of statelessness are usually anchored uh, in discrimination and exclusion and marginalization. So if you have a very strong human rights approach, a very strong uh, human rights uh, bill of rights uh, like we have here in South Africa in the Constitution, uh, that's already a good start that you can start uh, eradicating uh, statelessness. Um, and the I Belong campaign really focuses on the humanity aspect, on the need for uh, humanity to come together, rally around and have the political will to eliminate uh, this uh, over a generation. You can actually do that. And uh, uh, some countries in uh, uh, Central Asia have managed to do this. So it's something that's not insurmountable. Right. And is there confidence that the campaign's goals will be achieved in record time? Uh, there is an element of confidence. We were on track, but uh, the COVID-19 pandemic has actually made things much more difficult uh, and uh, has made the injustice that uh, uh, stateless people face more stark. Uh, we have seen uh, that people w- without the requisite documentation could not access or were not included in, in uh, some of the response measures. Uh, for example, here in South Africa, we know that... Um, uh, on the health side, everybody was included because uh, uh, the, the COVID uh, n- n- virus didn't really uh, recognize whether you were a citizen or not. So everybody received that. But when we went now to uh, the social safety nets, the grants, there uh, we found some problems where people had to show some kind of identification and so on. And if you're a stateless person, you don't have an ID, you don't have a passport, you don't have some a document that ID identifies you. And then we also see that you have problems accessing uh, things like education. 
So the COVID-19 pandemic has actually exacerbated this and has uh, underlined the need uh, for us to move uh, quickly and eradicate statelessness by, by 2024. Right, and UNH, UNCR, UNCHR's key message today in commemoration of the hashtag I Belong campaign, what would that be? Well, uh, for us, it's let's come together uh, and uh, eradicate uh, the, this uh, problem uh, from the face of the, of the earth. We have less than uh, five years now. The halfway mark of uh, the I Belong campaign was last year in October 2019. Uh, states met at, at our headquarters in Geneva and made some high-level uh, uh, pledges. Uh, we called it the high-level segment on statelessness. And uh, some pledges were made there. And those, if they, uh, the, uh, if they are taken forward, if they are realized, would actually uh, address quite a lot. Because in some countries today, you have uh, 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 discrimination on the basis of gender. In our region, for example, uh, one or two countries, uh, women cannot pass on uh, their citizenship to their spouse or their children uh, if they are in a, in, in a marriage uh, with, with a foreigner. So uh, these are some of the issues that need to be addressed. And I think uh, we, we are, if we come together and work on this and uh, are progressive in our thinking and uh, adopt a non-discriminatory approach, we can eliminate statelessness from the face of the earth. All right. Uh, Leonard, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you very much. My pleasure to be on your show. Thank you very much. Take care. It was a pleasure to have you. And that's Leonard Zulu, a representative of the United Nations High Commission for Refugees in South Africa. Are you ready? Something new, informative, fun and exciting is coming your way. Channel Africa is introducing brand new shows and you, our valued listener, do not want to miss these. Live Well will be launched on the 31st of August at 10 hours and will educate us about health, wellness and health lifestyles. African Insight to be launched on the 2nd of September at 8 hours. It looks at infrastructure projects in Africa in an effort to improve the continent's economy. Yours truly to be launched on the 31st of August broadcast on Monday Wednesday and Friday between 22 hours and 23 hours and it will connect listeners to the loved ones through dedications, well wishes topped up with great African music. Cuisines Africa will be launched on the 5th of September at 10 hours and will leave you salivating as we explore diverse African dishes, colorful culture and rich history. Tune in to www.channelafrica.co.za or DSTV802 for these new exciting editions. Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspective. SABC News, independent and impartial. From an African perspective. 
In your headlines, Sudan, Ethiopia and Egypt abruptly ended their resumed talks on the Grand Ethiopian Renaissance Dam on the Blue Nile, signaling another deadlock in long-running negotiations. Burundi has been readmitted into the fold of Francophone countries following the lifting of of a four-year-long suspension from the organization. And all 15 of Hong Kong's remaining pro-democracy lawmakers have resigned in solidarity with four colleagues removed by China under a new resolution that allows them to dismiss politicians they deem a national security threat. Channel Africa News, I am Onelin Sinsi. SABC News, independent and impartial. From an African perspective. Welcome to Change Your Game on Channel Africa, the African perspective. We are coming to you from Johannesburg, right here in South Africa. I'm Asanda Beda, your host. Change Your Game, the program that promotes open discussion and social dialogue as we highlight real issues in the African entrepreneurship ecosystem. Trevor Mumba now joins us in studio to talk about his entrepreneurial and personal journey. Welcome to Change Your Game, Trevor. Thank you so much. Um, It's an honor to be here. Palesa Mukubong, who's a designer. Welcome, Palesa, to Change Your Game. Thank you. Your role at the fourth annual Fashion Without Borders event? I just know that I need to arrive and and, (laughs) and do my part and do it really, really well. For your latest update on the novel coronavirus for Channel Africa in Mombasa, Kenya, I am Diana Wanyonyi. Droplets spread virus. By following good respiratory hygiene, you protect the people around you from viruses such as flu and COVID-19. I am an African. I owe my being to the hills and the valleys, the mountains and the glades, the rivers, the deserts, the trees, the flowers, the seas, and the ever-changing seasons that define the face of our native land. Masterclass Africa, where great minds connect. An explorative one-on-one talk show that seeks to tackle issues of leadership and consciousness on the African continent and around the world. Masterclass comes to you every Fridays, 8 o'clock to 9 o'clock Central African Time. Channel Africa, bringing you the African Perspective. Central African time. Uh, Moving on right now. Burundi has been readmitted into the fold of Francophone countries following the lifting of a four-year-long suspension from the organization. The announcement was made during the Permanent Council meeting's 112th Ordinary Session led by former Rwandan Foreign Minister Louise Mushikiwabo, who is current Secretary General of the 88-member International Organization of La Francophonie, made up of uh, French-speaking countries.
Burundi joined La Francophonie in 1970, eight years after gaining independence from Belgium. But the 2015 political crisis in the country soared the country's relations with the international community and led to multiple sanctions after the government was accused of violating human rights. For more on this, Channel Africa spoke to Isaiah Nterezoshira, Burundian ambassador to South Africa, and he says the Francophone organization's decision is long overdue. I would like to say that Burundi welcomes this listing of sanctions by uh, the francophone body. It is a very good step in the, in the right direction because these sanctions have been, been taken uh, in, 15, in 2015, uh, after the elections in 2015, where, where people were saying because of uh, President Guru was running for a third term. Sure. And uh, there, there, there were some uh, uh, violent demonstrations, there were some coup d'etat, failed coup d'etat, and uh, even uh, military military invasion from outside and uh, following that situation and uh, the fact that uh, how, how the government managed to, to make those attempts fail there are some organizations which which put Burundi under sanction and I would like to point out that as Burundi government we consider that those those sanctions were politically motivated they, they did not have really real foundation and they were politically motivated and they would you would like to know why because they said Kuruza ran for a third term. Now we are in 2020. In this month, this month we had we have had elections in in, in Cote d'Ivoire. We had had elections in, in Guinea. In Guinea, in those two countries, the president they changed the constitution, which were limiting the terms to to, to two terms. They, they changed the constitution, and now they had they had to run for a third term. The very country which were saying that President Kuruza had, had not tried to, to run for a third term, now they are saying nothing. They accepted. So we consider that Burundi, this, this, this question of uh, third term is, is treated with, with double standards. Sure. And we consider in Burundi that it was politically motivated. Is this uh, perhaps the turning point that Burundi has been yearning for? Because some observers are saying that uh, the readmission into the body could be among the key indicators of a revival of uh, the bilateral relations with uh, countries like Rwanda. It's true that uh, the, the, the risking of, of these sanctions is an indication that, that the, the, the government of Burundi is, is recognized. But if it, the, 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 the reason why these, these sanctions are lifted is not because the, the new government is, is, is committed to, to restore the, the, the human rights. It, it is a reality. Even, even President Nkuruziza government was respecting the, the, the human rights. We, we are sure that Burundi, was, there was not that much human rights violation which was justifying so that the sanctions are taken. The sanctions were, were politically motivated. There, there was not, not that much human rights violation. In fact, what was happening in Burundi is that those people who had been armed by, by, by those governments and who were, who, who were staging instability in Burundi and the violence, because they, 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 what they call human rights violation was, in fact, the, the, the fact that the, the, the country was fighting with, with, with those combatants who, were, who had infiltrated in Bujumbura. So this insecurity, those, uh, the, the victims of this war were, were, were said civilian were said being killed. In fact, they were the combatants. They were not that not that, not that uh, human rights violation. Now, I suppose uh, Burundi will now try to make up for lost time in terms of multilateral cooperation, isn't it? Just in terms of the impact of the suspension, how has the country been affected? 
affected by the restrictive measures that were put in place because uh, multilateral cooperation is key to any country, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it is. I recognize that the, the, the sanctions we have been taken against Burundi by some countries or some some organizations impact have had a, a negative impact on the life of, of the population in, in Burundi. In, in fact, the, the Francophonie organization had not really economic impact on uh, on Burundi because its cooperation is is, is uh, mainly cultural and so on. Because just just to promote the, to promote French language and cultural diversity, to promote peace and democracy. So uh, the, the actions of uh, this organization are, are not real. The fact that the deported sanctions on Burundi did not have an, an, an impact on the socio-economic life of, of the population. But for the other organizations like the European Union, for some countries, I would not uh, I would not name them who put Burundi under sanctions and who had really an, an, a certain impact on economy. It's a reality that they there has been an impact. Do you agree, Ambassador, that uh, Burundi's international image has been tainted by the political developments that we have seen over the past five years in Burundi? Would you agree with this assessment? Do you think it is a fair assessment? It is, it is not a fair assessment. No, no. The Burundi image was tainted, but it was tainted not. But what 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 was said? What was said? By those people who are, who are saying everything is going bad, is going wrong in Burundi. Yeah, there are there is human huge human violations. All those all, all those reports were wrong or based on wrong wrong reports. So the, 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 the Burundi image was tainted, but on the basis of wrong information. So after five years of, of, of in, in this situation, we are happy to see that their organizations. We, we are seeing that some countries are changing their position and try to, to 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 revive the cooperation in Burundi and free sanctions. And uh, I would I would like to inform you that even the countries who have taken sanctions on, on Burundi are not trying to see how this uh, this situation can be changed and the sanctions will be lifted. And that's Zion Terezo Shira, Burundi ambassador to South Africa, talking to Kumbaro Mujalele. The World Bank predicted a very widely covered massive reduction of 20% in remittance flows by 2021 at the start of the pandemic. But six months on and the projected decline has now been revised, defying expectations. The financial institution now estimates that the amount of money migrant workers send home will shrink by 14%. Michael Kent, co-founder and chairman of global digital money transfer firm Azimo, elaborates. It's obviously tough times for people all over the world. And if you think about sort of big sending destinations for remittances, North America, Europe and and the Middle East, um, you know, obviously those economies are are struggling. um, And that has led to a decline in the in the volume of remittances being sent. Uh, I think the World Bank in March, at the beginning of the pandemic, came back and said they thought the, the global remittances would, would shrink by about 20%. Uh, they've just revised that estimate last week, and they, they think that um, remittances will shrink by about 14% over the course of the year. I have to say that um, in terms of the flows to Africa, they've been probably less badly impacted than flows to other parts of the world. Um, so we, we, whilst there has been a decline in the sort of overall provinces to the to the sub-Saharan African region, I think it's it's been muted compared to the sort of impact elsewhere in the world. So it's not good news, but it's um, it's certainly not as bad in um, sub-Saharan Africa as it is elsewhere. And what factors can be attributed to this decline? 
Well, I mean, it's 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 pretty it's pretty straight line between the performance of the economies and the job um, situation in in the places where people are working to, to to earn money to send back home. So, if you think about actually, North America and, and the Middle East have much less government support for people, so the, the unemployment rises there in those countries have been much higher. In Europe, actually, we've seen a lot of um, fiscal stimulus by, by the sort of the large governments in Europe, so they're, they're paying people to stay in jobs, they're paying people to stay at work, and that has actually meant that, you know, people's in- incomes and jobs are, are less negatively impacted than they might be otherwise. But yeah, remittances are down because people's jobs are down and people's earnings are down. It's a, it's a pretty straight line. And then if you think about the kind of people who move to a different country, they cut themselves off from their family and friends, they go and, you know, they, they, they really go travel the world in, in sorts of um, better lives for themselves and, and for their families, these people are not going to give up easily. So I think, um, I think actually I'm pretty hopeful that, the, whilst, there, that whilst there are big economic um, headwinds for everyone, I'm pretty confident that actually remittances will bounce back pretty quickly. And uh, do you think the situation will turn around quickly, especially as the pandemic is still there, but there seems to be some form of hope with regards to uh, vaccines? Do you think the situation will turn around anytime soon or it might take just a while for us to get back to where we were before the pandemic? Well, that's the billion-dollar question, um, and uh, I, I am hopeful, um, like, like I think everyone else in, in the world, that um, we are you know, close to having a vaccine that's effective, that the distribution of that vaccine will be effective, and that actually by you know middle of 2021, we will be closer to um, normality. I certainly think that we are closer to the end of the pandemic than we are to the beginning of it. Um, I think things are, you know, as a, as a country and as, as, as many countries, we, we've learned to cope. Um, so I think that's, that's, I'm hopeful of that. I do not think that this will lead to a decline in migration. I do not think long term this will de- lead to a decline in remittances. Perhaps the most interesting trend is what you've seen is what it has happened is people have shifted to digital providers. So, you know, historically people have used the, the high street branches, people like Western Union and MoneyGram. What we're now seeing is a lot of people have realized that you can send money on your smartphone uh, with providers like Asmo or, or other companies that operate online. And actually, when you put people into that digital environment, it's cheaper, it's obviously faster, and it's much, much safer in a, in a pandemic situation. So um, I think um, I'm hopeful that we will come out of this. People's habits will have changed. People will be paying less for their remittances and actually will be in a will be in a better place than, than when we started. But no doubt, it's it's going to be tough times for a while. I couldn't I couldn't I, I think um I think I'm hopeful of a vaccine, but I think it will take a while for the economies of the world to bounce back. And that's Michael Kent, co-founder and chairman of global digital money transfer firm Azimo in London in the UK, on the line to Tutungobeni. The time is now 17:45 Central African time. Here's Tracy Boomgard with your latest economics news. Thank you, Samora. Former Danel Group CEO Zuelaki Nchepe has conceded that he failed to act in the best interest of Danel when he approved the awarding of a 10-year contract to Gupta-owned VR Laser outside of Danel's own procurement processes. Nchepe was, has denied that he forced other junior officials at Danel to sign the contract despite giving an instruction for the awarding of the contract to VR Laser. 
The State Capture Commission of Inquiry sitting in Johannesburg, South Africa, has heard that VR Laser's true owners were unknown and its triple BEE certificate was pending when it submitted a bid to Donnell in 2014. And Shepi is responding to questions posed by evidence leader advocate Paul Kennedy. I've indicated to you that after the discussions that we've been having and after the chair has ex- expressed what should have happened, I concede to the fact that that, 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 that is correct. This, this is history. The, the, the issues that we're talking about here are things that have happened in the past. It's not something that is going to happen in the future. Can you, it's like asking me if, if now you know, would you do it the same thing again? Of course I would not do the same thing again. South African tea processing giant Rooibos Limited has entered in an agreement with the Competition Commission following an investigation into a complaint that the company's competitors did not have access to products from tea-growing farmers. Rooibos is indigenous to the Cedarburg Mountains near Citrus Doll and Clan William. The company also only offered its production research to farmers on the condition that farmers would in turn supply it with up to 50% of their produce. In terms of the order, the company undertakes to publish the results of completed production research without conditions to access. Competition Commission spokesperson Siobolela Makunga says Rebos Limited also agreed not to enter into any long-term supply agreements with farmers that has a duration of more than five years. This settlement agreement follows a third-party complaint we received in July 2015, indicating that since 2014, Rebos Limited has entered into long-term supply agreement with farmers of Rebos tea for a period covering 2014 to 2018 in which farmers agreed to supply up to 50% of their produce of rooibos tea to rooibos limited to the exclusion of its competitors. Botswana has signed an agreement with the global vaccine distribution scheme co-led by the World Health Organization, giving it the option to buy coronavirus vaccines for 20% of its population. Botswana has seen has 7,800 coronavirus infections registered with 27 COVID-19 related deaths, but its economy has been dealt a severe blow by the pandemic. Botswana does not qualify for subsidized vaccines under the COVAX scheme because it is classified as an upper middle income country like neighbors Namibia and South Africa. Botswana made an upfront payment to COVAX this week and will have the option to secure roughly 940,800 vaccine doses under a two-dose regime. Friends of Zimbabwean millionaire genius Kandunguru, known as Ginimbi, say he will be buried with a stack of dollars. Reports say the businessman, who lived a lavish lifestyle, had left instructions for his all-white funeral. He died in a car crash on Sunday in Harare along with model Mitchell Amuli, properly known as Moana. Wealthy Zimbabweans have been pledging towards Ginimbi's funeral. A deputy minister's pledged to buy him a Versace coffin, while a legislature has donated several animals to be slaughtered at the funeral. Another politician has pledged 1,000 litres of diesel. 
Markets in Asia were mixed at the close of trade. Japan's Nikkei rose by 1.8%, mainly on upbeat company earning reports and pending U.S. political uncertainty. Mainland China's Shanghai Composite Index declined by half a percent, dragged down by a loss in electric vehicle and healthcare stocks on profit-taking. The U.S. dollar is trading at 379.53 Nigerian Naira, 11.02 Botswana Pula, 107.14 Kenyan Shilling and 20.75 Zambian Kwacha. In BRICS currencies, 1 U.S. dollar is trading at 5.38 Brazilian Hale, 76.43 Russian Ruble, 74.09 Indian Rupee, 6.61 Chinese Wang and at 15.51 South African Rand. Gold is trading at $1,878 and platinum at $884 per ounce. Brent crude oil is at $44.90 a barrel. For Channel Africa News, I'm Tracy Bumgard. With the latest Channel Africa Sports News at this hour, I'm Neto NETO Chemani. Starting off with cycling news. NTT Pro Cycling, Africa's only elite world tour team, announced on Wednesday that 1996 Tour de France winner Bijan Ries is stepping down from his role as general manager. The South African-based team said in a statement the split was by mutual consent. The 56-year-old Ries had only joined NTT at the start of the year, but recently expressed concern over the team's future as it looks for a new sponsor in time for next season. The Danish former rider was previously in charge of professional cycling Denmark, a team founded in 1999 and sponsored by Sexo and Tinkoff Banks in its later years. He left in 2015. On to football news. South African senior men's national football team Bafana Bafana takes on Saudome e Principe at Moses Mabira Stadium on Friday the 13th of November at 2100 Central African time before travelling to Port Elizabeth to meet the same opponents. The match in Nelson Mandela Bay kicks off at 1500 Central African time on Monday the 16th of November. Bafana Bafana has had a number of withdrawals with Tibang Pete and Jali Abubakar Garmobar, Tamim Kize and Tulani Serrero all out due to medical reasons. They have been replaced by Musali Busa, Vincent Bule, Tapelo Morena, Tsepori Khozo and Tabo Notadam. SABC Sport football commentator Mlule Gintzabo says forced changes makes planning difficult for the coach, however praised good replacements. It's difficult because he's uh, preparing for a team and when you prepare, you plan uh, for long term and, and probably mid term as well. He wouldn't have foreseen the loss of those players. But also, by the same token, he was uh, quick to uh, replace them with the likes of uh, uh, Vincent Puller, which I think that he deserves his call up, and the likes of uh, Lebu, um, uh, Lebusa and also Tapena Morena. 
Sabono Data and also Teporehoto. So uh, those are good replacements and people that have uh, shown what they can do for, for the national team. As to if the replacements meant South Africa has depth of quality players to come out as victors in back-to-back clashes against the islanders of Sao Tome, Nzabo says the country has got good resources for Bafana Bafana to do well. That's what you would think. So take nothing to chance. It's a back-to-back in terms of those two games, even though they are being played here at home, playing on Friday evening, and then you've got the, the, the afternoon game on, on, on Monday. So there's not enough time, too, to try and, 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 and chop and change in terms of your strategy. So to not take the game lightly and use the, the, the sort of resources that you have, uh, we, as we have spoken about that, that we, we don't lack resources in terms of calling up uh, anyone that can be a replacement for anyone for that matter. So I do expect South Africa to, to do well. Nzabo shares more challenges that could affect Bafana Bafana from doing well against Saudome e Principe. Lack of uh, doing a thorough research on, on opposition. Sometimes it can be difficult because it's not easy to even find the footage of these uh, people. And, and the second thing is the time for prep, where you have a team together for uh, the time that is desired by the coaching staff. And, and because of the players that are playing elsewhere, and also, even domestically, the league is congested with this COVID-19 uh, problem. The pandemic has uh, really caused a lot of uh, problems for teams and panic, playing uh, back-to-back games uh, for clubs, and then come to the national team, and then you have to switch and, and focus on, 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 on those competitions. So it's very hard for, 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 for teams. And finally, in golf news... For the first time in tournament history, due to daylight or the lack thereof concerns, the Masters will be played off two tees in the opening two rounds. This year's 84th Masters will be played from Thursday until Sunday this week, having moved from its original April slot due to the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic. Thank you for choosing Channel Africa. For Channel Africa Sport, I'm Neto and ETO Chemani. This is Africa Digest. That wraps up Africa Digest for this hour. Be sure to join us again from 1900 hours Central African time for more news from an African perspective. In the meantime, though, should you want to get in contact with us, do send us an email to info at channelafrica.co.za. Send us a WhatsApp to plus two seven seven six three zero zero three three two seven, And you can also tweet us on at channelafrica1. Right now, though, let's take it to the top of the hour with some music.